today's sermon, coming to us from our series, Tattoo My Soul. This is week eight in this sermon series, and this idea of tattooing our soul comes to us from Deuteronomy chapter 11, write my words on your heart and in your soul. Do whatever it takes to remember what I'm telling you. Tie my words to your hands so you'll see them every day. Teach them to others. That'll help you remember. Talk about them. That will help you remember. Write them on your house. Write them on your windows. Write them anywhere and everywhere you can. That will help you remember. And if you do this, it says, I will bless you and I will flourish your family. There's a promise of God that if you are desiring blessings in this life, if you're hungry for some growth and some flourishment, read this book. Remember what it says and then just go do it. My, one of my favorite ways to do this annually is sitting down with the Lord in late December, early January and saying, New Year's coming. You know what's in this new year better than me. What do I need to focus on this year? Where am I headed this year? What do I need to work on inside of myself this year? You know and I don't, so give me a scripture that I can focus on all year. And so each week of this Tattoo My Soul series, I've talked to you guys about one of the verses that God has given me in the last 12 years and how I read it and wrote it and remembered it and did my best to live it. And as I did those things, God taught me lessons. And so I am sharing those with you. But I don't want you to just listen to this as, well, that's Justin's story. This is your story too. The scripture I'm reading, these are God's words to you as well. So I asked the Lord on Sunday afternoon after last weekend's sermon, which verse do you want me to do next week, which is today? And immediately, God was like, talk to him about 2010. Talk to them about Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 4 through 7. So this is the verse that I'm going to share with you guys today because God knew you needed it today. So listen up today so that you can have some background on my situation and know where I'm coming from in 2010. The year before, 2009, was a cool year for me. Um, I had been working in student ministry for two years at that point. I was the junior high pastor. I was like mid-level. I did not yet understand. I did not yet know. God had not yet revealed to me that I would one day be the lead student pastor. So I was just kind of coasting in student ministry. I loved it, but I didn't know that it's what God had for me long term. And so there was... Several points in 2009 when I started to feel, and Brooke and I started to feel a little antsy. We're like, is, is, this, is this it? Is this where you have us? Is junior high student pastor like my purpose? I didn't know yet. And so I asked the Lord. I started kind of um, asking and then seeking and then, and then knocking, like, is this where you have me for life, to be the junior high student pastor? Not, not because I was dissatisfied with working with students, not because I didn't love that God had given me this role. It was more, I didn't really love the Woodlands. I've lived in this community since 1975. We were one of the first 300 families to call the Woodlands home, and it is now breaking like 200,000 people. I'm really tired of all of you on my streets. I used to be able to get around much quicker, right? But at this point in my life, I was like, do I really need to like, stay in the woodlands for the rest of my life? I've been here for a long time. And just geographically speaking, I don't love where we live. I, I have grown to appreciate it more 
but my heart kind of geography is like mountains. Brooks like the beach. But I, I didn't love the idea of living my whole life in a swamp, which geographically, we live in one. You guys, the, this campus itself is in the floodplain. This is a swampy area. I'm, I'm, I've like had enough of pine trees at this point in my life. And so I was just talking to the Lord about it. I'm like, it's hot here. It's swampy. It's a little boring. You get the idea. Um, if I had been left to my best idea, if I had just done what I wanted to do, what I thought was good for me, I would say I would not live in the woodlands, that I would go to Istanbul, Turkey. Brooke and I, before obtaining a position here as the junior high pastor, we had spent lots of time over in Istanbul as missionaries for Wood's Edge. And like that landscape speaks to me. That geography gets me going. I love Istanbul. Like maybe God has something for me down the line, but back in 2009, I was like, I would so love to move over there and like build my family over there. And so I ask you, like, can you appreciate that? Is it okay that I have the feelings that I do about the woodlands? Here's a picture of the woodlands. This is pretty much anywhere in the woodlands. It's a lot of houses, a lot of pine trees, and some streets. Um, this is, it is beautiful, no doubt. I mean, I, I love living here and raising my family here, but geographically, it, yeah, there it is. Now, my heart city, my heart geography looks a little more like this. That's Istanbul. That's like excites me. This was appealing to me back in 2009. This is like, God, let me live here. Let me do ministry with my family here. It's got mountains. It's got history. It's got ocean. Where would you prefer to be? Maybe the woodlands? Hey, I don't blame you. I'm still here too. So if left to our own best idea about where we should live, we would have chosen Istanbul. But we know we don't belong to ourselves. We belong to God. When we put our faith in Jesus Christ, when we were baptized, when we got married, we said, we belong to you, Jesus. So we're not going to just do what we want to do. We're not going to take our best idea. We're going to ask the Lord, what do you think? And so that's what I did back in 2009. So as you listen to my story, I want you to be thinking of your story. As you hear what God said to me when I asked, should we stay or should we go? I want you to be thinking about you and what he has to say to you about should you stay or should you go. To help you do that, I want you to take your white cards and your pen in your hand right now. I'm going to ask two questions that are going to help you track with and hear from God about how my story and his story intersects your story. So I'm going to ask two questions. And as you hear, as you sense the answers, just write them down on your white card and then just keep tabs on what you wrote throughout the sermon. Question number one, this is just between you and Jesus. I'm asking, but you ask him, is there any mistake that you've ever made in your life that you could just, if you could just erase? Have you ever done anything that you just wish, I wish I'd never done that? I'm so tired of dealing with the consequences of that. Is there anything in your life that you wish just never happened? I don't care what it is. If you've got one, if you've got two or three, just write it down. Question number two is similar, but it's different. Is there any circumstance in your life that you wish you could escape? Is there any circumstance that you're living in that you wish you could escape 
and that it just wasn't your reality, that you didn't live here, that you didn't have to do life with them. Is there any circumstance that you wish you could escape? Did you have a question, Ms. Crystal? Some examples of the first one? Circumstances, so like your situation, where you live, where you go to school, who you do life with, is there anything now in your life currently that you wish you could just escape? Thank you for asking that clarifier. So, I want to share my quiet time from January 4th, 2010, as I shared my circumstance with the Lord and asked Him to speak to it. And as I share my prayer, if something leaps out at you that resonates with yours, take some notes and we'll just get started. January 4th, 2010, I began my quiet time with the Lord. Good morning, Father. Thank you for today. Please forgive my neglect. I'm sorry for going so many days without meeting you in your word. I've missed sitting with you. You have lavished blessings on me and my family this year, just as you promised us last year. I praise you for them. The arrival of our first child, Charlotte, continues to enrich our capacity to love in ways that are far beyond us. You've blessed us through seven apples, just as you promised. You've provided for us through Wood's Edge, just as you promised. You've grown me into someone who can be counted on, just as you promised. You've empowered my bride to flourish as a mother, just as you promised. You've given us good work, and you've given us good rest. You've matured us through trials of faith, and you have comforted us all along the way. You take such good care of your kids, and we are so grateful to be counted among them. My table is full, Lord, and my cup runs over. But there is a restlessness in us. We are, once again, wrestling with a dissatisfaction. Perhaps something's missing, or maybe we've taken on something that needs to be set down, or maybe it's just the beginning of a brand new year, and we need some confirmation on which way to go. Lead me, Lord. Light up my path. My life is yours, and I only want to be where you want me to be. Should we stay or should we go? I'm going to pause right there before I share how God answered me. Students, especially those of you that are getting older in college and, and outside of the house is coming up, it is such a wonderful opportunity. It is such an important thing to ask God, where do you want me? If you're planning on going to college, get advice, get counsel, but ask God where. Geography matters to God. And if you know where you're supposed to be, then all those other giant questions, they get way simpler because you know, okay, well, I'm supposed to be here, so all those other questions will apply to here. It's such an important thing to ask God where do you want me to be, and that's what we were asking. Now, I asked the Lord, should we stay or should we go? 
and I just opened my Bible by faith. I trusted the Holy Spirit in me to see at least one thing on that page that said, this is God answering your prayer. Here's what I saw on the page when I asked the Lord, should we stay here or should we go? Jeremiah 29, 4 through 7, this is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says to all the captives he has exiled to Babylon from Jerusalem. Build homes and plan to stay. You think God was listening to my prayer that day? I do too. Build homes and plan to stay. Moreover, plant gardens and eat the food they produce. Marry and have children. Then find spouses for your children so that you may have many grandchildren. Multiply. Do not dwindle away. And work for the peace and the prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, for its welfare will determine your welfare. It was such a direct answer. All I could say was, yes, Lord, and amen. Let me give you some background on Jeremiah 29. During Jeremiah's time, God's people were not living in their true home of Jerusalem, the city of God. They had been exiled. They had been taken captive. They'd been making some mistakes, and now the consequence was they weren't where they felt like they needed to be, the city of God. They had been taken captive to Babylon, and the captives, as you know and I know, got tired of living in captivity. They grew tired of it. They were longing to be set free. They were longing to be released of their circumstance. They were longing for something better, and God knew that. Because God knew their hearts just as much as He knows yours today. He knows our hearts better than we know them ourselves. He knew His kids were dissatisfied, so He had Jeremiah write them a letter. A letter that is just as poignant and personal to each and every one of us today. And what He had Jeremiah write them, long story short, was, Hey, I know that you're not happy where you're at. I know that you are longing for something better, but here's my challenge to you today. Change the way that you think about your circumstances. That's what all those words said. Just change the way that you think about your circumstances. See if you can relate to the people of Jeremiah's time, considering the fact that you are all teenagers living under someone else's roof, under someone else's authority, not even allowed to vote yet. The people of Jeremiah's time were stuck in a place they didn't necessarily want to be. They didn't choose it. And everyone around them seemed to have more power and authority than they did. Nobody seemed to care about their plight, their everyday. Does that sound familiar to you? How do we change the way that we think about that? How does changing the way that we think about that make things better? Well, the answer is right there in our theme verse for the semester. Write God's Word. Write God's truth. Write God's understanding of your situation and the future on your heart and in your soul. And do whatever it takes to remember what He said to you. Have you ever felt trapped or powerless or invisible? God's answer to you? You need to remind yourself of who I am, of who I made you to be, of what I'm saying to you every single day. 
One of those things that we need to remind ourselves is in Philippians chapter 3, 19 through 21. There are many people in this life whose only God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things and they only think about this life on this earth. Well, why wouldn't we think about that? Well, it's because we, friends, are citizens of heaven. We're citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. We are eagerly waiting for Him to return as our Savior. The first thing we need to change the way that we think about when we feel trapped is that we need to remind ourselves, we've got Jesus. I don't care how dark and deep and lonely your hole is, how miserable your circumstance or your consequence is, you have a Savior that came to rescue you from it, and that's good news, and that's worth reminding yourself about every day. And the answer of that reminder, like the proof of it, is in here, and you can look in here and be encouraged every day. If you're feeling like, I'm just too trapped, it's too dark and lonely down here, read this book. Remember what it says. 2 Corinthians 4, 17 through 18, we need to remember this too. Our present troubles are small and they will not last very long. And yet, these present troubles are producing for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. Therefore, we don't look at the troubles that we can see now. Instead, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen because we know there's more here than meets the eye. For the things that we see now will soon be gone, but the things that we cannot see, the spiritual realm, the reality of heaven, those things, those will last forever. When we feel powerless in our situation, when we feel powerless in our circumstance or our consequence, we remember, I've placed my faith in my Savior, and I'm going to heaven no matter what. It can get real bad, way worse than it is now. I'm still secure in the knowledge that I've got a Savior who loves me, and I'm going to heaven at the end of the day. First Chronicles 29.15 is something we need to remember and think about. We are only here for a moment. We are visitors and strangers in this land, just as our ancestors were before us. Our days on earth are like a passing shadow, gone so soon without a trace. When we feel neglected and powerless and invisible, we need to remind ourselves our present troubles, they're going to be over soon. We're going to be with Jesus soon. We're going to be in heaven soon. So let's do our best along the way. In 2010, at the beginning of the year, Brooke and I were feeling a little bit trapped and powerless and invisible. And we were thinking, we don't want to be here. We don't want to stay in the woodlands. We want to get out of here. We want to go somewhere else. We want to try new things. And God's promise when we said, should we stay or should we go, was so sweet and encouraging. Right from the get-go, Jeremiah 29, verse 4, this is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says to all the captives that he has exiled to Babylon from Jerusalem. Even there, There's good news that God is on His throne, that God is all-powerful. When you are in a tough situation, you need to remember, and we see it right here, God's still in control, 
God's still got his eye on you. God still with you and loves you. And if you forget that, as we are wont to do, you need to open this book and dive in. In this life, relationships will come to an end, sometimes real ugly. In this life, you might have to change schools and start from scratch, and that is tough stuff. In this life, houses flood, property is destroyed, people get sick, bad things happen because this is not heaven. This is the precursor. This is the stopping point on the way to the eternity that God promises. And Jeremiah 29 is God reminding us, just keep your eyes on me and I will be with you all the way through. Good days and bad. And if and when we forget that, you just go sit with Jesus and ask him to tattoo truth and love on your heart and your soul afresh. It puts everything in perspective. It changes the way we think when we apply God's truth to the emotional response of, I don't like it here. I'm not happy here. I want out. So how do we do that? Well, I'm going to show you a picture that we're going to keep on the screen for a little bit as I roll through how we did that back in 2010. Here is my house that I live in today. This is Meadow Rue. There's my bride playing Dragon City, I'm sure. There are my kids on our trampoline with my bouncing boy. He's wearing pants, just so you know. You just can't tell. Um, got my dog in the garden and the deck and all the pretty things. There's where I live. You need to know that when I first wrote that prayer saying, should we stay or should we go? We didn't own a home. We didn't have a place of our own. We were renters, small place, and we only had one kiddo. And when we asked God, should we stay or should we go, he said, build homes and plan to stay. And so that's exactly what we did. We went out and decided, God said to stay. We don't want to. Everything in us says go, but God said stay. We believe in God's word. We need to do it. So we went out within a couple months of getting this, and we looked for a house to buy. This was the first house we looked at. It was in the neighborhood that I grew up in, that I always had a fear I'd never be able to afford a house in. In fact, I still can't. But we found this house that was a foreclosure at the end of the street on a corner lot. And when we pulled up to this house in Grogan's Mill, there's this eight-point buck just sitting in the yard, chilling. And I'm like, it's a sign. And then I heard the price tag on this house. I'm not bragging. This was the Lord. This house was like $90,000. You can't find a house for 90 grand in the woodlands. But it was a foreclosure, and it had been empty for two years, and it looked really shoddy. But we just knew when we pulled up, this is the one. We bought that house with a mortgage payment cheaper than our rent. And within three months of us taking that big step of faith, basically saying, we're in, we're here, we're not going anywhere. Do you know that the housing market boomed in the woodlands, and our house tripled in value overnight? And all we did was move in. God loves to bless obedience, you guys. Build homes and plan to stay. When we choose to make the best of our circumstances, building something is a key step. Jeremiah 29.5b, it also says plant gardens and eat the food that they produce. I'm not a gardener, I thought, but God said plant a garden, so I planted a garden. I got some railroad ties. That's another story. 
It was a super fun way I got them. I got some railroad ties. I planted herbs. I planted some tomato plants that like freaked out and just started exploding. And do you know that as we built this house, built our home, lived in this place, and then planted this garden that every day just watching it grow, it was like spiritual a spiritual balm on my heart to just see like something new coming from nothing. It was so healthy, so healing, so powerful to plant a garden in my yard and then eat the, food, the fruit that it produced. We ate those tomatoes, well, most of the tomatoes, I'm not a big fan, but still we ate them just like the scripture said. We make the best of tough circumstances when we plant something in our circumstance, when we grow in our circumstance. Are you in a tough place right now? God's saying, you need to build something, and I want to help you. You need to plant something new in there, and I'm going to help it grow. Jeremiah 29, 6, marry, have children, then find spouses for them so that you may have many grandchildren. Multiply, do not dwindle away. What a countercultural thing when we're in a tough place, a tough circumstance, and either our mind or the devil is pushing us. Get away from everybody. Just go hide in your room. Lock the door. Just hide and, and stay small. And God is like, no, 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 no. Multiply. Don't dwindle away. It was because of this verse right here. We had one kid, this beautiful little one, one-and-a-half-year-old Charlotte, and when I read this, I'm like, looks like we're having another kid. God said, and so within a year, Wyatt would be born, this beautiful, bouncing bundle of joy. I love that kid. Look at him. Even from back there, you can see his whole face is just a smile. He is just the light of our life, and he would not exist if we hadn't brought our cares to God asked him what he said, and then did what he said. We make the best of tough circumstances by not decreasing community, but increasing. Not keeping people out, but welcoming them in. And Jeremiah 27 just ties the whole thing together. Work for the peace and the prosperity of the city where I sent you, into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, for its welfare will determine your welfare. That's what we did by buying that house, planting that garden, having another son, making a home. We increased the goodness in our community. We didn't love our community, but God said, do these things, so we did them, and we grew to love our community more. We embraced our place, and we sought its good. When you or having a tough time or a bad situation, you can make the best of things by choosing to make your place, your circumstance, better. God says that you have the ability right now. I don't care what your circumstance is, your consequence. You have the power to make it better by asking him for help and then doing what he says. God loves that. He loves when we choose to make our place a better place. I have had example after example. I've even had two more today since showing up at church of people in these chairs, in this room, that have done that. And I want to share a couple with you. Here's first example. Making our place a better place means that we help those that we see in need. That's how you can make your place a better place. Here's an example. Last Sunday, there was a family visiting our student ministry, our church, for the very first time. They'd never been here before. They were looking for a new church home, a new place, and they were talking to my wife after service, 
And this new family loved the student ministry. They had a couple kids that were here, and they loved being here, and that was in large part due to you guys. And then they themselves loved being over in adult service and hearing the preaching. Amen to that. But they had this one seven-year-old, this little boy, and he did not love being here. He liked one of the other churches they'd seen because some kids noticed him and played with him. So the whole family was like, this is our place. But their seven-year-old was like, uh, nuh-uh. And I love their response. They were like, let's pray. They prayed right out there in that room that God would help their seven-year-old make a connection if this is where he had them. And as they finished their prayer, unbeknownst to her, my Charlotte, my 10-year-old, walks over to this kid that she said later, he looked lonely and bored, Dad, and said, will you come and play with us? And that kid went, and now they're going to a birthday party together. The mom texted my wife later in the day, when your little angel came over and invited my son to play with him, uh, her, it was like an answer to prayer, and that's the moment we knew this is the place for us. You guys, every single one of you have the power to do the exact same thing, to change someone's life by inviting them into your community. I wish, I long for, I pray in Jesus' name right now that every single one of you would invite someone into your life this week, into your church, into your small group, whatever it looks like. Don't decrease your community, increase it. Awesome stuff happens when you do. Example number two, making our place a better place means we make peace with people. Um, Jocelyn and I have known each other for a long time. Jocelyn was one of my first students in the student ministry. I've known her since she was, you know, small. And Jocelyn and I had an awkward moment on Monday. And we got into a bit of a, like, there weren't words exchanged, but it was just like, what, you know? And we walked away from that, and we weren't, like, great. Nothing bad happened, but we had an awkward moment. And Jocelyn, my sweet, God-fearing sister, went to the Lord the very next day and was like, I don't feel right. And God said, you need to go to Justin and make amends. You need to go apologize. She didn't do anything horrible, but there was something. And immediately, we're talking minutes after God said that, she came right to me, beeline across the parking lot and just said, yesterday, I was kind of a turd and I'm sorry. How did I make you feel? Tell me. And I did. I apologize for that. I'm not going to do that again. Help me not do that again. Are we okay? Yeah, we're okay. of course we're okay. Prayed for her. Boom. Peace. She sought the peace of our place, of our relationship. Making peace with people makes our place better. I'm going to ask you this in a minute, but maybe even now you'll just pause. Do you have someone in your life that you need to make peace with, that you need to go to and either say, I'm sorry or I forgive you? Believe me, students. It will make your place better. It'll make that darkness and that ick that you're feeling go away and light and new things will grow. Last example that happened this very week that I just love. Making our place a better place means that we pray for our place. We pray for our people regularly. During this week, a student came up to me just snotting and crying. Horrible day horrible circumstance, beyond their control. Their parents had gotten into a huge fight. Divorce was on the table. Plans to separate 
were going into effect that week. And the student is just wrecked, just weeping for their family. Instead of freaking out, instead of going and isolating, they sought out other people and said, will you pray with me for my family? Not even pray for me, take care of them, pray with me. And so we prayed for their family and said, God, it's not too late. You are the God of the impossible. You're the healer and the saver. Save this marriage. Bless them. Give them the desire to try again. And then we made plans, like, in case that wasn't God's will, like, this is your new address. This is how we can stay in touch. Because we thought, in a human thinking, it was over. Do you know that that student went home that night, texted me within 24 hours? Don't know why. They are making another go of it. They are trying again. They are not getting divorced. Students, I believe 1,000% had we not prayed for our place, had that student not prayed for her people, that would not be happening. God loves when we pray for our place and our people. Your prayers have the power to change all kinds of things. Thank God for the gift of getting to be part of making our place a better place. I'm going to invite the band to come up here. I'm going to invite our prayer partners to come to the front. And I'm going to walk you guys through the end of our sermon, how God has been speaking to you and perhaps what he's calling you to do as a result. Jeremiah chapter 29 verses 4 through 7 are not really a famous piece of scripture. But a verse just three sentences later is one of the most famous verses in all the Bible. And I'm going to read it to you. And I bet most of you are going to recognize it. Jeremiah 29, 11, talking about tough circumstances, talking about just be still, look for me, wait for me. Here's what God has to say to you today. I know the plans, student, that I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not disaster, to give you a future and a hope. Whatever your circumstances that you are wanting to run from, escape, wish never happened, God has a plan for you in those circumstances that is good and will give you a future and hope. And if you just bolt like Brooke and I wanted to, you could miss it. You could miss the opportunity to build something in the midst of this rubble. You might miss the opportunity to grow something beautiful in the place of that death. God has something good for you. It's a plan for future and hope that you get to be a part of. So I'm going to walk you through how we can pray our way into this and maybe come up with some action items. I asked you earlier, is there any mistake that you wish you could erase or any circumstance that you wish you could escape? Let's ask God to change the way that we think about those things. I want you to now look at your notes on the white card, but take your brown prayer tag and let's write some things to the Lord. This is just between you and Him. I want you to be thinking in the vein, how? How can I make my place, my circumstance, my situation better? And what did we see here? You can solidify your faith. You can build your relationship with God. Ask God right now, just between you and Him, how can I solidify, how can I build my relationship with you today? 
How can I build my house stronger so that when these storms come, they don't just sweep me away? How can I build my faith, my reliance on you today? If he's showing you something or saying something to you, write it down. I will say that I feel like God wants me to mention baptism here as a way to do that. To publicly declare, I'm yours, I'm all in, let's go, is a beautiful way of building your faith, of establishing a firm foundation. If you've never chosen baptism for yourself, today, today's your day to build up your faith on a strong foundation. Question two, how can I go deeper with you? When I think of planting something, I think of roots going down into the ground. I think of something growing up. I think of fruitfulness. That's a picture of what happens to us when we read the Bible. Our roots grow deep into him. Our love grows deeper into him. And fruit is born. Would you ask the Lord today, what does it look like for me to grow deeper in my relationship with you? It may be that the answer is so simple. Just read this book. Make time for these words once a day this week. Once a day this semester. Once a day for the rest of the year. Sit with this book and read it. Write it on your soul and in your heart. And just try your best to do what it says. That is a beautiful way that we get to grow our roots down deep. Thinking of not decreasing, but increasing, thinking of our theme of encouraging love and good deeds, ask the Lord right now, if you haven't already, who can I encourage this week? Who can I reach out to? Who can I invite? Jesus, give me one person in this place, give me one person in my life that I can reach out to and just say, I see you. I love you, that I can text and just say, I'm thinking of you. How can I pray for you? Just give me a name. Show me a face. Who can I encourage this week? And students, as you see their face or hear their name, write it down and then just go and do it. Today, before the sun goes down, encourage someone with an act of love, with a good deed. God will use it. I promise you. The last question to ask the Lord thinking about praying for people, thinking about making your place better. Unforgiveness is like the antithesis to that. It's like poison to that. It's like rot to that. Will you just ask the Lord, like with an open mind in all your heart, Jesus, is there anyone that I need to forgive? Was someone tied to that first question of that consequence or that thing you wish never had? Have you forgiven them? Just ask the Lord, is there someone I need to forgive or that needed to ask to forgive me? And just write their name, maybe accompany it with a prayer. If you're writing, keep it up, but I'm going to invite you guys, as you come forward today, when we drop off our tithes and our offerings, we would be honored. We would love to pray for every single one of the things you wrote down today. So please be encouraged to take that brown prayer tag and drop it in the box, and we'll pray for it this week. And if there's any actions that you feel led to do this week, you guys, go do them. You will not regret it. It'll make your place better and brighter, I promise. I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to respond as we feel led.
Jesus, I know that you have spoken to us today. I know that the words I shared were yours. And where your words are spoken, where your word goes, life happens. You accomplish your will. And your will for us today is to make our places better. Not on our own, not by our strength, but because we invite you in. So would you come and bless us, liberate us, use us to speak words of life and truth and love. Would you make all of our places a little brighter this week, if not a lot? If some of us just need to ask you today, is this where you want me? Is this what I'm supposed to be doing? Would you speak so clearly? Lord, we love you. And we thank you that we get to be part of your work. Help us make our places better. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.